let's get into Revelation tonight. All right, we're getting close to the end. Uh, both ways, like Jesus literally, we're getting closer to him coming back, and then also we're getting close to the end of the book of Revelation. So uh, as a pastor, you just wish that you finish the book of Revelation where it says at twenty two twenty one, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, amen, and then the rapture happens. How cool would that be? But uh, we'll see. So just be ready. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, we're in chapter 20. We're going to finish up chapter 20 tonight. Obviously, we started the millennial reign of Christ last week. And we're going we're gonna to go back and revisit verse 7 a little bit, 7 through the end of the chapter. So let's go to chapter 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then... Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you give us your word and you give us the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we might not be caught off guard or by, or by surprise. But, Lord, so we can be ready and be prepared. So now, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to apply your word to us. Help us to understand it so that we can do it and be obedient to it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here we go. Tonight we're going to be dealing with a couple of heavy topics. And um, I hope that it will shed some light for some of you. And uh, we're going to be doing a little bit more apologetics tonight. And apologetics is a defense, a defense for what we believe and why we believe what we believe. But then we'll also get into some strong application. You know, it's interesting because as we look at this period, this thousand-year reign of Christ, um, I'm sorry, I just hit my head. Um, as we look at this, this thousand-year reign of Christ, if, if we back up and just think about what happened, what we talked about last week, Jesus returns, and he returns with with. Uh, those clothed in white linen, pure garments, we talked about it being the saints, the church, those who were previously raptured. And he returns to the earth. He puts an end to the Antichrist and the false prophet and his armies. And then, and then he sets up his rule and his reign here on earth. And, of course, if you want to see more passages about that, Psalm 72 is a, a good passage about that. Isaiah uh, 2 and Isaiah 11. And there's, there's many more about the millennial reign of Christ. But during this thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be something very unique. You'll have those who entered into the tribulation and survived through it. 
and, and, and did not worship the beast or the false prophet. Then you'll have those who were martyred during it, and they've received their resurrection bodies like Christ. And then, of course, you'll have the church, those who were raptured prior to the tribulation, and they've received their resurrection bodies. And, and, and of course, the, in that passage, it says they came to life and reigned with him, they being us. Daniel 7 says that, that uh, it's interesting because Daniel 7, as he's getting this vision from the Lord, Daniel is uh, concerned. He sees these four beasts in Daniel 7. We, we went through it previously in Revelation. And as he sees these beasts, he's really concerned about it. But in the middle of, of this prophetic vision, Daniel's told, don't worry, the saints will reign with Christ. So every time God shows us what's going to happen, he always has a promise for those who are in him, those who are his people, those people that he's made a covenant with. And by the way, you're those people. He's made a covenant with you. In fact, the communion table or the Lord's table, that, that cup that you drink is a promise of that covenant. I've, this is a new covenant. My blood poured out for you. Take and drink. And so when we take part in the elements of the communion table, it's you and I saying, I'm a part of this covenant. It's a, it's a, a reaffirmation of that promise that Christ has done for us, that cross that he died for in his resurrection. So, so what we have here is the, the saints reigning with Christ for a thousand years. We don't have any more death during this thousand-year period. In fact, we see a total change in the earth. Isaiah tells us that, that ferocious animals won't be. The wolf will lay down with the lamb. The child will play with the cobra. The infant will put her hand over the, the, the viper's hole. And, and we see this total change in the way the world works during this thousand-year reign of Christ in the future. It's going to be very different, the Bible tells us. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to put an end to sin for the thousand years. Nobody will be able to, it's, it's going to, things are going to be operating perfectly. We're not going to have death, war, or anything. I'm, we're going to have what we'd call utopia, okay. That's what man always wants, right. We want a utopian uh, society. We long for it, but somehow we can't quite ever attain it, can we. So we're going to see this while Satan is bound. And at the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to come back. I read an interesting story. Um, I read an interesting story recently. It was a revised version of, of um, sorry, <laughs> someone keeps texting me while I'm doing this. So my, my notifications are coming up, and I apologize for that. I need to turn that off. Okay. Um, so I read this revised story of Little Red Riding Hood. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting. And the story is a little bit different than the one you remember. Uh, and wh what it says is this. It says, once upon a time in a faraway country there lived a little girl, Red Riding Hood. One day her mother asked her to take a basket of fruit to her grandmother who had been ill and lived alone in a cottage. It happened there was a wolf lurking in the bushes and over, overheard the conversation. He decided to take a shortcut to grandma's house. And get the goodies for himself. The wolf killed the grandmother, then dressed in her nightgown and jumped into bed to wait for the little girl. When she arrived, he made several nasty suggestions and then tried to grab her. By this time, the child was very frightened and ran screaming from the cottage. A woodcutter working nearby heard her cries and rushed to the rescue. He killed the wolf with his axe, thereby saving Red Riding Hood's life. All the townspeople hurried to the scene and proclaimed the woodcutter a hero. But at the inquest, several facts emerged. 
First, the wolf had never been advised of his rights. Second, the woodcutter had made no warning swings before striking the fatal blow. Third, the Civil Liberties Union stressed the point that although the act of eating grandma was in bad taste, the wolf was only doing his thing, to quote, and thus didn't deserve the death penalty. On the basis of these considerations, it was decided there was no valid basis for the charges against the wolf. Moreover, the woodcutter was indicted for unaggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Several nights later, the woodcutter's cottage was burned to the ground. One year from the date of the incident at Grandma's her cottage, was, uh, uh, her cottage was made a shrine for the wolf who had bled and died there. All the village officials spoke of the dedication, but it was Red Riding Hood who gave the most touching tribute. She said that while she had been selfishly grateful for the woodcutter's intervention, she realized in retrospect that he had overreacted. And she knelt and, and placed a wreath in honor of the brave wolf. There wasn't a dry eye in the whole forest. How sad. But you know what? The reason this, this revised story of Red Riding Hood is pertinent to us is we see that happening in our own society. We, we see where people take something that we should call evil and they go, they twist that. And, and they say, no, no, it was actually good. Oh, no, you know, they're going to make it out to be good. And, and, you know, some people take this view of Satan even. Well, can't we just reform Satan? Why, why does God not like Satan so much? Why, why does why does Satan got this doom awaiting for him? And I'll tell you right now, this thousand-year reign of Christ, we see Satan bound for a thousand years and turn out turns out when he's released, he's not reformed. In fact, not only is he not reformed, but we see that the earth's population, much of the population also turns against Christ. Remember Gog and Magog, they gather for battle to fight. What's wrong with man? I mean, we reach what we want and we have a utopian society. Things are perfect. We don't see death anymore happening for this thousand years. What's wrong with man? What's wrong with Satan? Isn't this what we want to achieve? And some people actually think that, hey, you know, if we can level out the playing field, if everybody has their fair share of the pie, their fair share of the money and all these sorts of things, if everybody has an equal house and, and equal this and equal that, it's also called socialism or communism. You can call it whatever you want, but it's, it's Marxism. If we give everybody a fair share, then they'll be good. But the fact is, it's not true. In fact, we've even seen in communism, it doesn't work. It does not work. Why is it? Why is there evil in this world? You know, so many people want to blame God. Or actually, they want to say that God doesn't exist because evil exists. And this, this argument is so old. Uh, it goes back to Epicurus, the Greek philosopher. And, and, and basically, it goes something like this. If, if, if God exists, then God would be an omnipotent or all-powerful being. He'd be an omniscient being, all-knowing. And, of course, he'd be an omnibenevolent being, holy, good, or all-loving, which is the God of the Bible, is it not? That is the God of the Bible, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good. So, so Epicurus's argument goes something like this, and I'm, I'm putting it in more modern language, but an all-loving being would have a desire to eliminate evil. An all-powerful being would have the power to eliminate evil. And an all-knowing being would have the knowledge to eliminate evil. But the problem is, 
evil exists. So therefore, God does not exist. That's the argument. And again, you can look this up. It's, I'm, I kind of modernized it a little bit. And actually, I recently got into this with my apologetics class at School of Ministry. Uh, and uh, what I do with them is I always play, <laughs> I kind of play the opposite side and they get all riled up. <laughs> and like, I'm like, okay, well, hold on, back down, guys, don't get upset. I'm just saying what, what, what people are saying. Because evil exists in this world, God does not exist. So how do we, how do we defend against that? How do we show that, that, that if we go back to the Garden of Eden and say, well, see what happened in the Garden of Eden? See, see if, if God was really good, he wouldn't have created Satan. And Satan wouldn't have tempted Adam and Eve. And they would not have sinned. But God did create them. So therefore, I don't believe even a good God, an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God actually exists. In fact, you and I have all felt the effects of evil. We've all, we've all been in places where we've either, either felt the effects of moral evil, where a person does evil against us, another person, or we've felt the effects of a, a natural evil where there's a hurricane. In fact, we have somebody from Louisiana in the back, Flo's husband, Lee, and uh, he remembers the Hurricane Katrina very well. So we've all felt the effects of evil in our world. But that doesn't justify writing off God. In fact, I think Revelation 20 here gives us the answer. The problem, the answer for the problem of evil is in us. I, uh, my, my sister's here. She's over there sitting there with her little daughter, Samantha. And Samantha is two. And Samantha uh, was in a strange place last night at our house. And Samantha woke up in the middle of the night crying. She was overexhausted and stuff. And she was screaming and and so we all get up, and it was really funny because I hear my wife get up and go and say to, to uh, uh, my brother-in-law, Dana, and she goes, hey, is everything okay? Like, do you guys need anything? And Samantha says, I okay. <laughs> and then my, my wife leaves, and Samantha just starts screaming again. And then, uh, and, and this went on for I don't know how long, but she go through screaming fits and so on. And uh, Laura, when she laid back down last night, she's like, man, I'm glad we're past that stage. And I was like, yeah, I am too. I'm totally glad we're past that stage. Because anybody who's had kids knows that stage where they're just like screaming or they're up all night. And you're like, why? And then, of course, we also know the stage when they do evil. When, when your, your little kid who you love, your little baby who you put so much time and effort to. In fact, all you do is show love to this little one. They turn and they hit you or they try to bite you or they try to pinch you. And you know, you look at them and go, you did that on purpose. And you're like, how did you learn that? You know, and and we all know that, that there's this little bit of evil inside of them. And uh, and so when we see that, so I I propose that rather than having any more kids, rather than looking to, to... actually go through the process of being pregnant when I, I found online they actually sell dolls that they, 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 they can cry, you can nurse, you can uh, like, you know, care for them, shake them. You know, they, or not shake them, but you don't shake babies, so sorry. <laughs> you don't shake babies. <laughs> anyway, but you can take care of them, you can feed them, and they do all the things that a real baby does. But the best part is they'll always love you. They'll even, you can even have them say, I love you. And, and they can take the place of a kid. 
and then you can have your own kid. In fact, we can do this with dogs too. We don't have to worry about getting a real dog. There's dogs they sell in the store that they bark. They come to you. They wag their tail. Um, you can play with them. And then you can just turn them off. And there's no mess to clean up after. You don't have to feed them. You can save some money that way. And that will satisfy our needs, right? No, sadly it won't. Because there's something wrong with a baby that's programmed or a dog that's programmed to show love. It's not real love, is it? It's something about that first hug you get from your child when you know that they just came up and they just want to hug you. Or, or when they're walking by and all of a sudden they jump in there and they give you that hug. It's like, oh, man, that's worth it. That is so worth it. There's that, that love that is showed that cannot be from something that is programmed. You can't get it from a computer. As much as people want to try to figure out a way to marry their computers, not possible. You can't do it. See, the answer really is in the fact that God has designed us. He has created us with a free will. He has created us with the ability to choose to love or choose to not love. He has created us with the ability to choose to do good or to choose to do evil. What is evil? Well, evil is not really a thing. It's the, really the absence of goodness. That's what evil is. It's like, it's like darkness. Darkness isn't really a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. God has created you, and when he created man and uh, when he created us, he said, it is good. When he created Satan, it was good because he, he was a beautiful angel. It was good. But if he is going to force someone to do good all the time, he must remove that whole point of the will. The will. He's got to take it away or he's got to judge. There's those two things. Those two options. Either he's going to judge or he's going to take away the will, remove the will. At, in the millennial reign, we're going to see the judgment where he's going to judge. Well, why does he judge now? Well, there's people that need to hear the gospel. There's people that need to receive that ability, understand that grace of God, where they too can know Jesus, they too can be saved, and they too can enter into eternal life. The Bible tells us that the devil is the father of all lies, that there's no truth in him at all. The Bible tells us that the devil is an enemy of righteousness. He's full of deceit and villainy, and he'll stop, uh, and he makes... He makes crooked the straight paths of the Lord. That's, it. That's the devil's goal in, in the Bible. That's what it tells us about the, our adversary, Satan. And sadly, you know, 40% of, of Christians in America, okay, not, not just people in America, 40% of, of Christian Americans actually don't believe that there's a real devil. They, they think the devil is something that just to represent evil. The only problem is if you start saying that there's no real devil, there's no real adversary, boy, you got to get rid of a lot of stuff in Scripture. you got to start pulling this out. And, and we want to apply the good parts of Scripture to us, but that means we also got to look at the bad stuff too. It's also there. You can't just throw out one. You can't say we're going to throw out hell, but we'll take heaven. It doesn't work that way. So 40% of Americans say there is no devil. But the Bible says something very different. There is a real devil, and we're going to see that when he's bound for that thousand years and Christ is reigning, we're going to see that um, he puts an end to, to that sinful state of human beings. But there's another problem with it. Why do people go back to being tempted by the devil? Well, that's the problem of the heart. And here's, 
Here's what I think is interesting. That even when we level out everything, when we make everything even, and God is reigning, Jesus is reigning, and, and, and we are reigning with him, meaning that you and I are perfected. We've received our new bodies. We're, we're not going to have to wonder what the will of the Lord is. We're going to know it. In fact, he's going to finish that work in us where we won't have that desire to sin anymore because his work is complete. Remember Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it to the day of completion. So we'll see that in there. So we'll be reigning with him, but then there, there are people in the natural body with that natural sin nature that's born in them. That nature that says, like, I think I can do better. I can make a better way. I can do better than what God has planned for me. And this is the problem when it comes to judgment. Because we like judgment when it's re in regards to people who have done evil against us. But we sure don't like judgment when it deals with our sin. Do we? You go and it's, it's that whole idea that, okay, yeah, I want judgment. I, you know, man, Osama bin Laden, man, that guy needs to be judged. You know, I'm so glad he got shot and he's done. Judgment has come for him and now he's going to burn in hell. Hitler, oh, man, he's burning in hell now. Yeah, he's getting his judgment. But you and I, we definitely don't want judgment for us. Do we? We don't apply that same, same vigor. And you say, well, he, they're really evil. Well, trust me, we're going to see here in a moment that the books are open and they're going to be judged for every evil deed they've done, no question about it. But we too will be judged for every evil deed we've done if we're not in Christ. The Bible tells us that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Interesting, Genesis 6, shortly after the creation, we're talking... Shortly after Adam has passed away, when God looks at his creation, what he says about it. He says, the Lord saw all the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, there's something wrong with the heart of man. Our hearts. And, and by the way, right here on this part, don't go their hearts. Don't go, oh yeah. There's definitely something wrong with his heart or her heart. No, no, my heart. There is something wrong with my heart because in my heart I desire to do evil. Paul says it this way. Paul says that, man, the good I want to do, I don't do. It's the evil I don't want to do that I end up doing. And, and, and Paul ends up going, ah, oh, please, God, just do away with this body of sin. He wants it. This struggle to be done and over with eventually. Paul, Paul recognized that struggle, that tension we have because our hearts are evil. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. Matthew, of course, Jesus tells us, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, slander, sexual immorality, false witness. Jesus told us that. It's out of the heart. In fact, when Jesus talked about sin and, and committing adultery, committing murder, he said that it starts in the heart. That That's where the sin starts. And then, then we actually go commit the action. But all along it's starting here in my heart. And we wonder, why do we have problems in our marriages? Why do we have problems doing what's right? Why do we fall? Why do we do things that are wrong? Especially when things are going good, Right? Man, I can pay all my bills. Things are great. I've got the house. I've got this. I've got that. 
Things are going good. I'm, I, I'm getting married. But then there's this thing that happens in us where we fall or fail. I, uh, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things I, I always talk about is that relationships do not make us happy. I know the world wants us to believe that if we get that fairy tale and we, we find that right person and we fall in love, yes, we did it. We're going to be happy the rest of our lives. But the problem is, if that were the truth, why would we have so much divorce in America? Why would some of you have had to go through the pain of divorce in your lifetime if that were true? Relationships don't bring happiness. See, there's a problem in us, a sickness in us. And why, oh, why do we look to within us for a solution? The Bible says we've got to look to God. We've got to go vertically. The problem is you. Eastern religion and medicine says look inward, clear your thoughts. All sorts of psychology says look backward, look into you for the, 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 that help. You know, listen, sometimes we got to deal with past issues, no question about that. But what, the way we deal with them is bringing those past issues before God and saying, God, am I to remain a victim or how do I act moving forward? Man, we can't look inside of us. We are the problem. Our hearts are, are evil. Our hearts are wicked. And praise God that through Jesus Christ, he begins that work of a new heart in us. His Holy Spirit begins to change us from the inside out. It's not finished. In God's view, it's finished because it's as good as done. Jesus says it is finished. It's finished. But you and I haven't fully realized the end product yet. And we're dealing with it right now still. But our hearts are wicked. We've got the problem. Luke, Jesus says this, for the, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many times have we justified doing evil based on somebody else's actions? <laughs> well, I wouldn't have said that if you wouldn't have done that. Listen, married couples, I'm going to talk to you real fast for a minute. If you're married and you have problems in your marriage, don't start with fixing your spouse. You fix you. You deal with you. Then you start praying for your spouse. Then you start together with your spouse reading the word. Now, if you've got an issue with a believer and unbeliever, we can talk about that. It's a little different. Paul gives us some instruction about that. But if the person claims to be a believer and you're a believer, you start with you. The problem isn't only your spouse. It's also, you're like, oh, man, that's really hurtful. Yeah, I know, but it's true. We're not great. <laughs> we, we, we have problems. <laughs> the, uh, only Donald Trump is great, right? No. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I love that. You can just say, I'm great. <laughs> it's great. So uh, anyway, the problem is with us. We've got to look to the Lord. For our salvation. We've got to bring the problems in our marriages before the Lord. I was sitting with a couple and in, in, uh, doing some counseling. And, um, you know, it's really funny because I know the people that do well and the people that don't do well, the people that, that are really ready to deal with the problems, they, they, they keep coming and, and they keep meeting with me. And, by the way, I'm not, not knocking any of you. The people that are, are not really ready to deal with problems, they come once and they go, man, that was offensive. I'm out of here. <laughs> 
And, uh, and so anyway, we're, we're sitting down. I'm sitting down with this couple, and they're actually very close to me. I love them very much. They still love me, so that's good. But <laughs> we're talking about their problems, and, and the wife is just railing on the husband. I mean, man, I felt like I was getting beat up, and I wasn't even married to her. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, this hurts so bad. Like, I feel really bad for her. And so I'm just kind of trying to get them to talk a little bit and listen and see what's going on and stuff. And the husband was the classic husband. It's to sit there and go, hmm, just not say a word, you know. And it's like, <laughs> uh, and so anyway, I, I gave him a, a book to read. And I, I wanted them to come back and talk to me after they read the, the, the uh, third chapter in this book. And uh, the wife calls me up. Husband never picked up the book, and I wish he would have. But the wife calls me up and say, wait a minute. This book says the problem starts with me, and I need to repent, and I need to look at me and see what the Lord needs to do in me. I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I'm like, but, but he's the one with the problem. Oh, I'm not saying he doesn't have problems, but, but I, you know, just why don't you go see what happens. It's amazing. Her whole outlook changed because she started submitting herself to the scriptures, herself to the Lord Jesus. Not saying, I'll do what you want, Jesus, if my husband does it first. Right? Guys, the problem is within us. We need the Lord to change us. We need his, his uh, transformation in us. Paul says, Paul says, uh, offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, it's not by the renewing of your husband or wife's mind, but by the renewing of your mind. It starts in you. So going back to Revelation, the, the uh, devil is after that thousand years, they, he is thrown into the lake of sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. They'll be tormented day and night. And the best part about this is, guess what? God will put an end to evil. And here, here we are in Revelation at the end of evil. And by the way, man, that is going to be awesome. That day when evil is no more, that day when God has redeemed everything, when we are with the Lord. And, and, and uh, we're going to find as we get into chapter 21 that heaven is not us sitting around in clouds with harps floating around in diapers. Okay? That, that, that's not heaven. First of all, I don't think I'd look good in a diaper. I just don't think I'd pull it off. So don't think about it, okay? Anyway. But uh, we're going to see that heavens, there's a new heavens, new earth. And it's not just all spiritual, it's physical. So um, but we'll get to that. And then, of course, there's this great white throne and this judgment. Um, notice what, he, what John sees. He, he not only sees the one on the throne, that, that white throne representing that purity, that perfectness of, of, of God. John tells us that the Son is the one who will be judging. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. We're going to see that in, in 21, that there's a whole new creation of heaven and earth. Earth and sky flees away. And, of course, we have prophecies. Peter talks about it. That all these things such are to be burned up, talking about the heavenly body. So we're going to see a total creation. Isn't it interesting that this prophecy also goes along with what science teaches us. Science says that the, the, the universe is like a clock being wound up and it's just, it's just counting down the hours as, it, as, it, as the second law of thermodynamics or the law of entropy is taking its toll on the universe. The energy is going out and, and the universe has got a time frame. There's a time limit on it. Well, we're going to see that this the heaven and earth flee away. 
No place is found for them. The old is gone, the new is coming. He saw the dead great and small standing before the throne. The dead great and small, what does that mean? Well, you know what? In our, in our realm, from our perspective, we have great people and we have small people. We have people who are giants as far as their, their place in the earth, their impact on the earth, their wealth in the earth. They're, they're great. And, oh, oh, wait, Donald Trump, he's great. So great and small. I'm not saying anything about his faith. I'm just, okay, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I apologize, guys. Um, I, it took a bad opportunity. Okay, so we see great and small. We see, uh, well, who else would be small? Who would be a small person? Well, that person has very little impact on the, on the planet. Uh, the person has very little impact on society. Uh, maybe this is a homeless person. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody that we didn't even know existed. Great and small, they're all there. And, and, and here's what it says. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Listen, God's judgment is not arbitrary. Praise God that God is just. See, if I was up there judging, I'd be like, well, I totally like you. <laughs> You're gone. <laughs> well, you're kind of ugly. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> See, I'd be judged by my own judgment. I'd be toast. So, um, <laughs> I, speaking of being, uh, never mind. All right. <laughs> so, the, the, the sea gave up their dead. Um, death and Hades gave up it, its dead. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, what this is telling us is that, that it's a total judgment. Everything, all the dead are being raised up to life. There's two resurrections in the Bible. Right? If, uh, you have the first resurrection, which shares in that same resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the first fruits from the dead. Then, then we have those who are resurrected to life. You have the church. You have the saints after the tribulation. Uh, you have the old, everybody who's part of that first resurrection, they're resurrected to, resurrected to life. The second resurrection is all the dead. Those who are, when I say dead, I don't mean people who have died. I mean those who are going to judgment for their sin. Those who have said, I don't want Jesus. I want to do this on my own. They're going to judgment. That's the second resurrection. So it says death and Hades gave up their dead. The sea gave up its dead. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. The sea, oh, wait a minute, those people that were never buried, those people that may have been lost or, you know, these questions like, well, what happens if I blew up? Can I be found in the resurrection? What about being cremated? Can I still be resurrected in the resurrection? This was a big issue, by the way, theologically for a long time. So it's saying that, yeah, God can put together everybody. <laughs> He's going to raise up everyone and, and, then, and then they go to judgment. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So God throws out death. What is death in Hades? Well, remember Jesus has victory over death, so that death is no more. Death in Hades are that, is that place where the dead are awaiting judgment. It's also called hell. We call it hell now, but it's not the final hell. It's not the burning lake of sulfur. It's not that eternal fire that hell is. It's, this, it's that place, and of course we get a little picture of that when Jesus talks about the story of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus went down, the rich man, they both died the same day, and Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man went on the, on the, into the other side to, to Hades, and uh, it talks about their two different perspectives, so you guys can check that out. So death and Hades are thrown into the burning lake of sulfur. What this is saying is God is taking care of everything. Nothing is getting missed out. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone whose names was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Interesting thing about hell. I, uh, most Americans actually believe in heaven, believe it or not. And we're talking, we're talking unbelievers and believers. 72% of Americans believe in heaven. I was actually really surprised at that number, especially because we, we promote atheism and naturalism so much in our schools and and, uh, and people talk about like, oh no, I'm. Uh, it's all about evolution and so on. I don't know why they steal from our worldview, the Christian worldview, and say I think there's an afterlife, a heaven. Well, I, th- I actually know why. I think it, inside of us, we all know that we were not created just to die and cease to exist. God has created us in His image. We have a soul that 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 won't just cease to exist. And and the Bible tells us that hell is created for Satan and his demons. Not for you and for me. So if we believe that heaven exists, certainly this passage also tells us that hell exists. And hell is that burning lake of sulfur where there's suffering day and night, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And no, I don't like it either. It doesn't make me feel good. Um, But it's important because I I think it's what tells us that, hey, this is really coming for those who aren't ready. Matthew 25, everybody turn to Matthew 25 real fast. And we're going to close with this. Matthew 25. This is your homework. Okay. Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives us three parables. Ending with the final judgment. These parables tell us about the kingdom. The first parable that you can read is about the ten virgins. We've talked about it. We, we have those virgins, the five virgins that were ready, the five virgins that were not. And, and uh, we see that the, the five virgins that did not have their lamps ready and their oil, the bridegroom comes, they're not invited into the marriage feast and celebration. They're left out in the cold darkness and um, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the second parable is the parable of the talents. We have a master who goes on a long journey. Jesus Christ, he goes on a journey. And it's going to be a while before he returns. And to these servants he leaves some money to invest. He says, take care of my, my investments, take care of my property. And, and so these servants do with that property what they should. And the third servant actually takes his talent, his one single talent, and he goes and he buries it. And he doesn't worry about the master. Well, the master comes back, and sure enough, the servant says, well, you know, hey, I knew you were a harsh guy, and you reap where you do not sow. Basically, he tries to say that God, or uh, the, the master is not, not a fair, just person. And so the master judges everyone, and to those who had, more is given. They're rewarded. To this one servant, he's cast out. Where? And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so here that servant is caught off guard and he's surprised. And then Jesus goes into the final judgment scene and he tells us about that. And he says that, that he's going to gather all nations together and he's going to separate them, the sheets, sheep and the goats. Now most places don't shepherd sheep and goats together. But in, in Israel, believe it or not, that they do that. They have goats and sheep together. And God, Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And, and once he separates those between, the sheep will inherit the kingdom prepared for them. The goats, on the other hand, are those ones that have rejected the kingdom. 
And they did not do what the master told them to do. They did not take show Christian charity. They did not love their neighbor as themselves. They did not love God as, as they were supposed to. And so what does God says? He's, he, God says he cast them out to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So these three passages Jesus teaches us about, all of which everyone is surprised about the judgment. Even the ones who are the goats said, wait a minute, when do we see these people who are hungry or poor or sad or, you know, whatever the case. When do we see these people? And Jesus says, what? what? You saw them. When did we see you hungry or naked? No, when you saw the least of these, you saw me, Jesus tells them. And so they're all surprised. Listen, these, these stories and this final judgment story is all given so that you and I would not be surprised. So read chapter 25 uh, of, of Matthew. Read it this week. I want to make sure that you're not surprised by anything. But notice this. The purpose of the parable is not to tell you about judgment. It's to call you to preparation. That's why Jesus has given us these stories. To call us to preparation. How are you preparing, Christian? How are you preparing? You know, it's funny because uh, I, I like those shows like Doomsday Preppers and stuff. And like, I just like watching them. I don't know why. I like seeing what these people are doing going, oh, that's cool and whatever. Some are really crazy. But the idea there of prepping for the the coming judgment or disaster, I think is, is something we can really translate to our Christian faith. Are you prepared? Are you ready for the Lord's return? That's something that I think you really should start investing in. So read Matthew 25 this week and be ready. Be ready for his return because he wants you to. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you for this night and we thank you for your word. And God, um, I don't want to see my loved ones, my friends judged. Lord, I want to see them saved. Lord, help me to be brave. Help me to be faithful in sharing your gospel. I just thank you so much, God, that you've given us the opportunity for new life and, and to set us free and give us life abundant. So bless each and every one in here. Lord, I know that you especially never created hell for us but we chose to reject you. So you know more than anything what it means to judge. And um, you'll do right. We thank you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.